you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church. Let's have a word of prayer before we go further. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, these are your words that was just read. We pray, Heavenly Father, and ask to help us to understand what you're saying, what you need us to know, what you need us to apply to our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Believers ought to live with the realization that we are living in a hostile world. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the powers of the spiritual forces of evil, In the heavenly realms. They are very powerful. And we are weak. We need help. Living in a world with interceptions in life. Can cause believers to waver. And lose their spiritual foothold. How much we need God's protection. When it comes to our spiritual lives. We can talk a lot about Jesus. And about God. But when the pressure comes and the testing comes, how do we face the testing? Our high priest models prayers for us. In his own life, how often would he retreat and pray often? If the creator of the universe, manifested in flesh, was aware of his dependence upon the Father while in this world, how much more do we need him? Manifested in the flesh, he relied upon the Father's protection as the Son of God. Deity in flesh still relied on his Father. His earthly ministry is about to end. His earthly ministry is going to come to a close and his departure is imminent. He's going to go. He has to go. He has to leave. The disciples had depended on him for everything. He had been their teacher, their protector, and the supplier of their needs. And now he's going away, leaving them behind to face a hostile world. Not easy. Understanding his disciples' fears, he spent much time that evening in the upper room, comforting them, Bringing them up to speed of what is going to happen and the significance of all that's going to occur. He assured them that he would continue to love them and provide for their needs, regardless of the hostility they will face. For the disciples, the world will continue to be a place of opposition against his teaching. And when 
Jesus leaves, the antagonism towards him would be redirected to his disciples. They're going to have to face the blow. They're going to get it. And Jesus warned him then, letting them know how things will unfold. So don't be surprised when it starts to happen. Don't waver. Be courageous. Stay on track. Keep your foothold. In the previous verses, as we dealt with last week, reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. He makes known the Father to his disciples by showing them who God is. And he did that specifically in himself. His compassion he showed, the miracles he did, his divine authority when he speaks. He forgives sins. And so that the disciples will have a better understanding encompassing all of who God is as they live out the mission they're about to be sent on. The disciples had come to know the truth that the Father had sent Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They believed and received His words wholeheartedly, which are elements of obedience that is essential for salvation. Now, after Jesus declared his interrelated deity in verse 10, where we left last week, all mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. That is the disciples he's talking about. He then proceeded to intercede for the 10. The, for the 11, sorry. Matthias will follow later to make the 12. And he continued in his high priestly prayer. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, Father. He's going to the Father's home, to the Father's throne, a position he has before the foundation of the world. And his heart desire and his prayer please for those whom the Father has given him. He started out by addressing God this time, and very interestingly, not by just Father, but Holy Father. It's not easy to react in holy ways, in the flesh, when you have people pushing you to the limit, pushing you around. Who wants to harm you, hurt you, and even kill you. Most likely, most of us will want to retaliate. The emphasis here with Holy Father is for God to protect and preserve the disciples' holiness in the midst of a hostile and wicked world. You'll have to maintain that. Because power will come through that. Then he then asks, Keep them, Father, in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. The first thing we notice there is the preservation in God's name. Many people have names and nicknames. And those names tell of their attributing factors. Job means 
Jacob means schemer. He grabs his brother Esau's heel in their mother's womb and acted out as an adult, deceiving Esau of his birthright. Isaac means laughter because he brought joy to Abraham and Sarah in their age married life. There's hope for aged people also still. Don't take me up on it. Jesus means Savior. He will save his people from sin's wrath. In a similar way, God reveals all of who he is. His name reveals his character, his nature, and his attributes. When Jesus was on earth, the Father kept him by his name. That is by God's power and God's authority for the mission he came on earth to do. And now he's asking the Father to do likewise for his disciples. The Father's preservation is essential for all of Jesus' disciples' spiritual protection. And to secure their glorification that is coming when we go to his kingdom. We are told later in Peter's epistle that believers are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus then moves further on giving the reason for his Father's protection in the Father's name. And that is to guard them that they will be one as he and the Father is one. Oneness in spiritual unity. That is the life of God in the disciples' regenerating souls that will guard and keep them united. They need that. He's asking the Father that the disciples be united in harmony and love as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united. The strongest of all unions. Now, in the practical sense, one is in heart, one is in mind is a recipe as these disciples of Christ takes the gospel into the world. Now, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have the oneness in purpose, in nature, and essence, so the disciples must carry on in their mission in oneness. Strength is there in oneness. We all know that. They have to stick together and work together as they go out with the gospel. Now, these disciples' visible unity in oneness will do a few things. The visibility unity in oneness produces a common love for the Lord. The visibility unity produces an effective gospel. The visibility unity produces effective church ministry. The visibility unity produces their testimonies to the unsaved. Unity is very important in anything. Now in verse 12, he continues. He continues in verse 12. While I was with them... I kept them in your name. 
which you have given me. The NIV reads, Holy Father, by the power of your name. Jesus asked the Father to give his disciples the same level of protection he had for them. He wants the same. He knows the situation, what they're going to face. He faced them. And he wants that same level of protection for his disciples. He's not going to abandon them. He promised them. He's going to be with them. Of course, we know through the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus had taught them, empowered them, and shielded them from spiritual danger with the words of truth, which he demonstrated being the sent son from the one and only true God. Jesus guarded his disciples, and not one of them had been lost, except the son of destruction, that his scripture might be fulfilled. Now, the loss of Judas, the son of perdition, was not due to Jesus failing to keep him. He was not given to the son by the father. He was not genuine. He was consigned to eternal ruin. Judas was not compelled to betray Jesus in order to fulfill a prophecy. But he chose to betray the Savior and in so doing fulfill the scripture that he does not belong to the fold. Psalm 41.9 Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate bread with me has lifted his heel against me. Judas threw his rabbi under the bus. That's what he did. Because he had his own motives. What Judas intended for evil, God in his perfect purposes worked together for good. This is something which is interplay, it's an interplay mystery. It's a mystery between human responsibility and divine election when it comes to God's sovereignty. It interplays there. It's a mystery. We can't understand all. God ordained human events in his providence without destroying human freedom. He rules the wills of men and angels in such a transcendent way that their actions are theirs, but happens according to his will. Ask me to explain it, I don't know. But that's what happened. Mystery. God doesn't leave no loopholes. And we see this kind of thing illustrated in Acts 2.23. Peter is preaching. He said, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. They were responsible, regardless of what God ordained. People are responsible for their actions and the consequences that may follow. Judas had never been the true disciple of Christ. 
He never had that spiritual bath. He was never washed. Never. Judas is not an example of a believer who lost his salvation. He's an example of an unbeliever who pretended to have salvation, but really exposes a fraud. It is not good for anyone to fake faith. Sooner or later, you will be exposed. The elect, however, will embrace in faith. They will. So in verse 13, in contrast to the son of perdition, Jesus continued in his prayer in the midst of his disciples. He wants them to hear what he's praying, who he's praying to, and so forth. So in the midst of his prayer with the disciples, he says, but now I'm coming to you, he's talking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Another reading says, But now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they will be filled with my joy. Now, joy is a common theme in Jesus' teaching. And he wants his followers, all his followers, to be joyful. The word, the world defines joy as happiness caused by something. Happiness comes and goes dependent, depends on circumstantial feelings. That's how that goes. Something's happened today, you're happy. It doesn't happen tomorrow, you're sour. That's how it goes. It comes and goes. Depends on feelings. Jesus is not talking about that. Even when the disciples faced the hostile situation, they will look ahead in joyful anticipation when salvation is fully realized in the new kingdom. Like their Savior, they have to operate. They have to roll like their Savior. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Because I live, you will live also. I go and prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you will be also. Jesus' joy is a living hope. And when these disciples are going to go through whatever they're going to go through, in all that hostile situation, they have to look up and know what's ahead. Just like their Savior. That's Jesus' joy. And Jesus wants His joy to be in the disciples. As believers here this morning, we have that joy. We have that hope. Regardless of the sour things that comes in life, there is somewhere we're going. It's a permanent place. And Jesus promises that. And when we embrace him in faith, that's where we're going. This joy is an emotional legacy of Jesus' followers and is found only in him. Not in things. It's found in Jesus. It is his transferred joy. The joy set before him, not founded on the immediate circumstance of what is about to happen to him, but his post-crucifixion joy. That's what he's aiming at. And he wants his disciples to grab that and hold on to it in their heart 
as they face their struggles in this earth. And that's what we have to do too. That's what we call to do. Life is not easy. You're going to have those wrenches thrown in life. But this is not the end. He said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always going to be there. It's just where our focus is. The next prayer observation is preservation in God's word. In verse 14, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. Now because the disciples believed and received the true word of God from Jesus. They have been born again from above. And now their value differ from that of the world. And that's how it ought to be for believers. Our value changes. As God's word resonated in the believer's heart, the word will reveal what the world is really like and exposes its deception. Because Jesus' followers don't cooperate with the world by joining in their sin, they are living accusation against the world's immorality. And you look around and you'll see that. You might even experience it. The world follows Satan's agenda. And Satan is a vowed enemy of Jesus and his people. Oh, he can quote scripture. And he can show you a few things. He did it to Jesus when he tried to tempt Jesus. So who are you and I when he tackled us? Oh yeah, he's lying. The world follows his agenda, and Satan is a vowed enemy of Jesus and his disciples. The word of God is the truth and has a progressive sanctifying effect on believers. That is, keeping them apart from the worldly ways and its systems, which brings me to my third point, where the word and the stain in the world are interrelated, and that is the preservation in the world that he talks about next. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus knows all is going to happen. And in verse 15 to 16, he prayed, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. What Jesus is saying, no escape. No escape, but preservation to be used as salt and light in a hostile world. Satan has a great influence on people in the world. The devil only succeeds when there is a lack of knowledge of the truth. Jesus called him the father of lies, and so are his workers. And we have lots of them, lots of them in the world. 
even from the pulpit, even from the podium, you're going to find them. He knows, Satan knows how to twist the truth to deceive people. He did it in religions as well. That's his business in the world. And the believer's business is to untwist his falsehood by proclaiming the truth from God's word. We are in that business to do the untwisting. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's how we are to walk. That's how we are to live. Live with the truth buckled around your waist. Tie it up. You're ready. Believers have the responsibility to obey the word to stay pure and holy as strangers and aliens in this world. That's our responsibility. Daily application of God's word has a purifying effect on believers' minds, hearts, in keeping us on track. You stay on course that way. With the solid rock foundation of being forgiven, citizens of heaven, and applying the word daily, believers will triumph in this hostile world. You will. Because you don't go alone. You go along with the resurrection power. You go along with the power and the purity in Jesus' blood. The high priest continues. Having prayed for their spiritual protection from the world, Jesus continued to ask the Father to sanctify and purify the disciples as they prepare to live holy lives and preach the truth to a hostile world. God is looking for clean vessels. God is looking for clean vessels. And in order for anyone to be clean vessels, they must be internally conformed more and more to, it, to the image of His Son. And what that will do, it will give the confidence. It will give you and I the confidence as we work for the Lord in His kingdom. Oh, you'll face difficulties, all right. But I tell you, you will roll through. Because... God is in it. Now, though the disciples have been already cleansed with a spiritual bath, they still needed occasionally to have their feet washed from the filth of this world. We have to remember that. This one-time thing that we say we believe and be gone, I'm not getting all of that, but we need those daily cleansing. Those daily repentance, we need it. If we're going to keep the vessel clean and for God to use us. God doesn't want dirty vessels. He wants to see us. We're not perfect people. But He wants to see how we're striving. How we're going. When that little child is small and trying to walk. And that parent sees that child. And that child falls down a couple of times and stumbles. 
The parents doesn't pick the child up and hit him. No, they encourage him. God sees that in us. He knows us. He knows our heart. He knows our mind. He knows when we're striving. And he's always there to help. So though the disciples have been already cleansed with a spiritual bath, they still need occasionally to have their feet washed from the filth of this world. So Jesus prayed in verse 17. Look at that. Sanctify them in the truth. Big word. Keep setting them apart with the word against that of Satan's influence. That's what he's praying for. Set them apart, God Almighty. Father, Holy Father, set them apart. He prayed that the disciples would hold firmly to the words of God. Satan's desire is to snatch a soul from safety of Christ and the Father's hand. That's his intention. That's what, what he wants to do. There is nothing Satan, the prince of this world, would like better than to destroy someone's saving faith. Though unable to do that, he surely can make life miserable for anyone by twisting the truth and bring confusion, especially when you face those difficult circumstances. Oh, he can do that very well. If you're not stuck in the word. If you do not know the truth. Knowledge, the truth of God is very important for the believer. Satan tried to destroy Job's faith at his weakest moment in life. But after all the calamities that Satan brought upon him... Job's response showed that, that the faith God gives cannot be destroyed. It has divine power and the preservation of the faith comes from the Lord. Satan also sought to destroy Peter's faith. Jesus warned Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. If you know what sifting of wheat is like, my, you don't want to go through that. But Satan desired to do that. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Simon, strengthen your brothers. They're going to go through some tough times. Really rough time. And Satan going to target Peter. And the Lord has a way to deal with each one of us. Anytime Simon Peter is behaving a little bit confused and, and in trouble, Jesus will refer him to his name, Simon. Simon, Simon. Satan tackled him. God bragged about Job. He's the blameless one. Who did Satan attack? Job. He's coming after the leadership. He's coming after the head. You topple the head, you got the body. That's how he operates.
We cannot escape this world until our work is done for the kingdom. We see that with the disciples. Reliable tradition told us that all of them faced martyrdom except John when he was on exile on the island of Patmos. They faced it. But that didn't happen until their work was done. The Lord's intercession for his people guarantees that none of the disciples will be reclaimed by Satan. None. And so are we. Can't do it. He can try. He can try to confuse. But he can't do it. What happened at the cross and the resurrection cannot be outbid. Can't do it. And in verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As the Father sent Jesus on a rescue mission on earth to save sinners, so Jesus is sending his disciples with the word of truth into the world to preach the salvation message. He's sending them now. This prayer is a preview of the Great Commission. The Lord will give his disciples following his resurrection. And as the Father set Jesus apart when he came to earth, Jesus is sending his disciples, setting them apart with the belt of truth around their waist to a lost world that would hate them. But the work must go on, regardless of the hostility and the hate. And then in verse 19, and for their sake, as he's praying again, still continue, and for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. What is he saying? For the disciples' sake, Jesus would sanctify himself, set himself apart to righteously obey the Father's will by dying on the cross. He set himself apart to do it. He's not going to worry with that thing that Satan was trying in that temptation stuff. He sets himself apart to do the Father's will. And he's going to go to the cross. He perseveres through the most horrific event in human history to prove the truth of God's love in a hostile world to save sinners. He proves it by sanctifying himself, set himself apart. And it was only because he atoned for their sins that the disciples, and us as well, that they themselves would be sanctified, set apart with the truth, and righteously obey Jesus' commission to a lost world. That's who we are. We are sanctified if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If not, you're not of the fold. And now he's leaving earth. He passed his disciples on for the Father's spiritual protection and oneness as they devote themselves to the Lord's work. Now it, now it is on that basis that Jesus appealed to the Father to protect and secure the disciples' faith. That's what he was doing through this prayer. On that base. And how will this end up now? 
guided by the Father, interceded for by Jesus, and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, these men would provide a solid foundation upon which all believers in ages to come would rest as they go forward in the world, living for him and proclaiming the gospel message. They set the stage. That's the primary reason for remaining here as believers. We do not need to evangelize in heaven, but we need to be the salt and light evangelizing the world in Jesus' name. We have work here to do. And he promised he'll protect the spiritual aspect of our faith. Though we'll face the hostility, we'll face Satan attack, Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen? So, Jesus' prayer for the eleven, and by extension to us, Preservation in God's name, preservation in God's word, preservation in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spiritual protection. That no one can snatch your elect out of your hand. And we pray that we will hold firmly to your truth. As we make ourselves available and open to proclaim your word, your word to a lost world. For we worship and serve a great and awesome God. And in your son's name, we thank you and praise you. Amen.